Welcome to the Power Podcast. This episode is about transforming care advocacy. On the episode today, I'll be speaking to Hayley, who works as a transforming care advocate in Nottinghamshire. We hope you enjoy the podcast. I think we better start by talking about the events that led up to transforming care being created. Could you tell me a little bit about what happened to start things off? Yeah, I mean, I think most people will, won't will have heard of Transforming Care, but may have heard of Winterbourne View. So Winterbourne View was a panorama scandal whereby people with learning disabilities and autism were being abused. And this was exposed on panorama. And following that, there was a big inquiry. And part of that inquiry found that people with autism and learning disabilities were being detained in hospital um, for an extensive amount of time without much of a review. And it meant that people were being detained and they weren't able to live a meaningful life outside of that hospital environment uh, when they potentially quite easily could have done. And there's been, there's been further scandals since Winterbourne View. Uh, and the most, re- well, the more recent one was um, up at Walton Hall, which is Durham type area. Um, where a similar thing was occurring, and again, that, that was exposed on, on Panorama. So I think that there's still a lot of work to be done around transforming care, but having the role of an advocate has certainly, for me, um, has been able to start seeing some benefits um, from that. So, so yeah, that's, that's basically where transforming care was, was, was born, essentially, um, following the, those scandals. So what were the changes, and, and what is transforming care? So some of, the, some of the biggest changes are that people's care and treatment is reviewed on a regular basis. There's a lot more sort of uh, guidelines to follow, discharge plans. Uh, they worked with a 12-point discharge plan um, within the transforming care. And there's, a, there's been a few sort of different branches that have been born off of transforming care. So, so one of the biggest ones is building the right support. So one of the issues and, and why people sometimes are in hospital for an extended amount of time is due to a limited community placements um, and those community placements being robust enough to be able to manage um, people with some quite complex needs um, and when, when we say complex needs that may be communication or that may be uh, something that's called behaviour of concern and some people might relate that to challenging behaviour so people that, that may either self-harm or sometimes harm other people. So part of the transforming care was was building the right support um, and building the right support was a further initiative to make sure that community provisions were, are in place that are robust enough uh, and that the staff, the staff team are skilled enough to be able to support these complex people um, and that those community provisions will work. So essentially it's about looking and making sure that people that are living together are appropriate to live together. So it's not a case that, you know, uh, somebody that's you know 70 years old, uh, perhaps with a mild learning disability, isn't living with a 21-year-old that's on the autistic spectrum and that doesn't use verbal communication to speak. So it's about looking at that. And CQC will come out and inspect homes on that. Uh, I know as previously I was a registered manager, and I was asked, you know, is your home sort of in line with building the right support? So, yeah, they're the sort of branches that, that have sort of come off that. Um, 
as well as STOMP, which is around the administration of antipsychotic medication and constant review of medication, making sure that people are on an appropriate dose of medication and it's appropriate to their needs at that time. Sure. So, so that's about making sure that people aren't overly sedated. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. So it might be that you know people might need a PRN, and a PRN means an as and when required. Um, it's a bit like if we've got a headache, we'll take some paracetamol. Um, if somebody's experiencing a level of anxiety, they might need something just to to help their their anxiety levels reduce slightly. So it's it's making sure that um, that medication that's prescribed to them is appropriate um, and that they're still able to have a meaningful life whilst on that medication. Sure. And it should be it should be reviewed and reduced um, as often as possible. Um, it's interesting just hearing what, what you said as well about building the right support because in my experience as an advocate with a lot of clients that possibly wouldn't come under transforming care advocacy but you do question a whether they're in an accommodation that is going to be right for them and that the staff that are with them are you know properly trained you know for, yeah. for what they need to be yeah I mean my, my my biggest thing is always that staff need to understand why they've got to support somebody in a certain way and they need to be skilled enough to be able to do that they've got to understand the, the bigger picture it's not just a case of you know, oh, well, this person has, um, they like to do colouring, for example. It's about understanding the, the, the bigger meaning around that and not just, oh, well, they don't like to do colouring. It might be that it's therapeutic for that person, like art therapy, essentially. It could, you know, there, there's lots of different meanings to, to the way that we do things. So for me, you're absolutely right, Tom, that are the staff skilled enough to know and understand exactly what it is that they're providing that support for? Okay, so can we talk a little bit more about transforming care advocacy, what that looks like in practice? Yeah, sure. Um, so transforming care advocacy provides consistency. Um, these people are likely to have a referral for advocacy at quite possibly the worst time of their life because we will receive a, a referral for a person who is at risk of a placement breakdown at risk of hospital admission or is already detained in hospital. So for them, it could be the worst time of their life. And, and we start that process. And once we receive that referral, we should anticipate that we're likely to be involved for up to 12 weeks. And with Transforming Care Advocacy, we can follow through on all of the areas of advocacy. So it might be that um, that person is accommodation is going to change. And if they don't need a separate advocate to do that anchor change of accommodation, it can still be me. They might be detained in hospital and I can do their rights under the Act. I can support them with tribunal. So, so all of the areas of advocacy can be encompassed within the transforming care advocacy. It gives those people that consistency. When they're at such a vulnerable stage in their life, that consistency is absolutely key. They, you know, it is such a confusing time. It is likely that they've got a lot of people around them within an MDT that adding in two, three, four different faces through different phases and stages becomes very confusing. So within the transforming care advocacy, it can just be me. And it's a consistent face for that person um, throughout that 12-week journey. So 
firstly, what we will, we will try and do is attempt engagement. It's really important to get that person's views because um, they're going they're likely to be having a care and treatment review. So we want to make sure that they're involved in, in within that review. Um, and I like to I tend to try and get two visits in before their care and treatment review where possible. One is an introduction visit to, to, to make sure that that person knows and understands what who I am. Um, and secondly, to be able to talk to them about you know the care and treatment review that's going to be happening and what they want their involvement to, to look like um, and what they want their future to look like. I think that's really important because having obviously worked in other advocacy roles, we don't always get that time to have uh, two visits before the meeting that we're attending. You know, some sometimes we only meet the client as we're going into a meeting. Um, so I, th- I think it's really important to stress with transforming care and the people that you're working with that they really benefit from that extra time spent with with just one human being that's there throughout the process. Yeah, absolutely. And like I say, throughout that 12-week process, I'm able to touch base with them on a regular basis. So I, that rapport is still there. It's not a case that, you know, I just go away and then come back at six weeks, go away, come back at 12 weeks. It's a case that actually I'm, I'm there, I'm consistent, I'm part of their support team, essentially, you know, to make sure that their views are listened to, that their views are heard and that they're in control of their life and their future. So there's a few terminologies, I suppose, that it, within transforming care, isn't there, like like the CTR. So could you tell me a little bit about what a, what a CTR is? Yeah, so a CTR is a care and treatment review. And basically what, what happens within a care and treatment review is everybody who is involved in that person's support at that time. So it, it may be psychology, the manager of the care home, if they're in hospital, it might be the consultant um, community team. So we work with ICAT um, at the moment, which is sort of like the community-based based team um, supporting people that are at risk of placement breakdown or at risk of hospital admission. And, uh, and an opportunity for everybody to sort of sit around and, and look at every area of that person's life and make sure that it's working essentially. So, it, you know, there's a, there's a review discussion around medication, about that person's health and well-being. Something that's really important is making sure that people have had like, their annual health checks and things like that so that they're fitting well. We would look at their autism, if they've got autism, and how that affects them. Do they need any further assessments around that? Um, you know, like sensory assessments and things. Do they need speech and language input? And then from that whole meeting, uh, an action plan is formed um, and that action plan sort of stays live for for the 12 weeks, essentially. And, uh, you know, everybody's accountable. And part of my role as as advocate within that is monitoring that action plan and making sure that people are doing the things that they need to be doing to make sure that this person's got the best opportunity either to maintain their placement within the community or that the discharge from hospital is not delayed at any point. So, you know, it's a really good meeting. It's a good opportunity for everybody to sort of sit down and be able to discuss that that person's um, current needs and and where there might be some difficulties or where there might be some barriers. We usually have a red, amber, green rating throughout throughout the review. So it may be that their medication is stable and that's okay. So that would be a green, but actually um, their future 
we can't find a community placement, for example. So that would be red, and there'd be some immediate actions about what we might do around that. It sounds as well like a really structured process. If you're working with a lot of people with LD or autism, I suppose it's really good to have that structured process. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I do so. I do um, the pre-CTR work with a person, um, and what we would look at is we would talk about what their hobbies and interests are, whether they've got any family or friends, and making sure that they've got access to those relationships if they, if, you know, if they want access um we would look at what is working well for that person now what could be better is there anything that they are worried about in the future and a really important question do you feel safe you know and we ask that for every pre-ctr um, you know do you feel safe and on the on the um the ctr panel itself there's a clinical reviewer so there's an independent clinician somebody from uh, Transforming Care, which is a case manager from CTG, and an expert by experience. So the expert by experience will also um, be making sure that that person's views um, are listened to alongside the advocacy support as well. So what, what sort of background would an expert by experience usually have? They would usually have, I mean, in my experience, from the people that I've worked with um, here, they've all got um, relatives that are either in a care setting, have autism, have a learning disability, yeah, it's usually that they've got a relative and they're able to sort of relate to that so, that, so they'll sometimes say, you know, my son or daughter likes to do this or, or they've lived in this community placement for this amount of time, etc. So it's, it's quite good to actually have a completely independent person as well as an advocate that's got that life experience as well. That sounds really good, and, and, and that sounds quite unique, actually, within a lot of health and social care processes, that somebody who's actually um, experienced the system as an outsider, other than the advocate, is invite, in, invited into the process. Yeah, yeah. It is, I mean, you know, um, it is unique, um, but it, it, it's such a crucial role as well, I think, you know, to have somebody completely independent and and advocacy is involved it's it usually means that that family aren't um and i suppose an expert by experience can understand the emotion of that as well if you know if the if family are not involved or they find that quite difficult there's a the little bit of empathy there that actually i, I get it. it you know that a lot of people on the pa- panel probably don't get it um because they might not have a son or daughter that are, that are in you know care or have been hospitalised or detained. So having that person is, I think, it's it's a crucial role, yeah, expert by experience. Definitely. And I think that as incredible as a lot of the, the staff are that, that, that work within health and social care, there's there's a danger that they can become a little bit desensitised to the, to the emotion of it. And, and so, as you say, to have somebody there who's been through it from the, the, yeah. the emotional perspective is a really Absolutely. good thing. That independent voice, um, and, and you know, from an advocacy perspective, that independent voice sometimes you can almost hear the hear the, like a pin drop where they where they literally just switch for a second and go, oh yeah, you know, that's okay. I need to refocus. You can see that they almost become sometimes a little bit complacent or can't see outside of the box because they're stuck in this really crisis, really difficult situation. And I don't take that away from anybody, you know. 
some sometimes people can be going through a really difficult time and and they just need that change of perspective and perhaps that different outlook that independent outlook and you just sort of sit like I say you just see the penny drop where I've seen people just go oh yeah like perhaps we should try it like that can I ask you what's meant by an LAEP call <laughs> yeah so um it's called a leap call also known as a blue light um, protocol, we tend to use LEAP. So a LEAP is a local area emergency protocol. Different areas will probably have different names for it, but within, within the area that we work, it's, it's a LEAP call. These are quite rare, and they usually occur when people are in immediate crisis. We will get a referral come through, and it can be, we're on the meeting now, and we need somebody independent. I don't even know the name of those people sometimes. I haven't even got their initials. Um, it's a case of jumping onto that call and listening independently to what the current situation is and being able to try and find some immediate resolution to that. There's been quite a few quite difficult big calls where you know people have been damaging property and the police, is, police are actually at the property at the time. Um, whilst we're on the call trying to sort of come together to say right what what can happen to this person um, and that's when somebody's at immediate risk of hospital admission or immediate risk of a placement breakdown so you we're, we're looking at that point is is there any respite within you know the local area that this person would be able to go to you know is there any other placements that, that may be available um, and do, or do they need a, a, a mental health assessment that's really interesting, though, because I imagine before Transforming Care existed, the process would have been that that person would have just been sectioned and taken to a ward, which is probably not going to benefit them, you know, other than just sort of keeping them out of the community. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the leap call process itself, like it's, it can be quite a fast paced um, and decisions, uh, some, sometimes there's, it, it can be emotive, so there can be emotive decision making. You know, you could have a provider on the phone or a registered manager on the phone that is dealing with the crisis. So from their perspective, they're trying to keep staff safe. It could be that, you know, the, the directors of the company or the, the landlord essentially is saying, well, this can't happen any longer. This person's got to leave now. So it can be quite fast paced. So it's about keeping a sort of a level head and making sure that that independent outlook and the least restrictive thing happens for that person because people's anxiety and behavior can fluctuate at times people are at risk if they go to hospital they could be in hospital for an extended amount of time so we're always looking at in the first instance what can we do to wrap around that support provider do they need some additional staffing you know, ICAP might say, well, we'll come out every day and support. So it's, you know, can we keep it safe within that environment? If not, we'd then be looking at a respite provision, perhaps. And if that then fails, then it may be a hospital admission. Can you tell us a little bit about how the COVID pandemic has affected the way that you've worked? Yeah, so, I mean, COVID-19 has meant that remote working has pretty much been a must. And that can sometimes be really difficult to engage with people with such, you know, complex communication. Um, and when people are going through such a vulnerable stage of their life, 
I've been quite lucky, in, in all honesty. You know, there's been a lot of people that have um, engaged quite well remotely. I would say I can count on one hand the amount of people where I've thought, no, I need to go and see this person in person. So COVID-19 has, you know, it has had quite a big impact. And if we were to look at our figures in relation to referrals, you, we would notice that following July through sort of September, there were a lot of community care and treatment reviews, and that was because people with placements were at risk of breaking down. And we were probably 80% community, 20% hospital, which we don't, it's not usually that we would see it as high as that. And that just goes to show that, you know, COVID-19 and the lockdown provided predictability for people. You know, there were some, you know, for people with autism and learning disabilities, that routine and that structure is, is so important. And although they lost a lot of structure and routine, but perhaps not going to day services or perhaps not, you know, going swimming every Tuesday at 10 o'clock, they were provided with an environment that was, no, we can't do this and, and this is what we are going to do. So when those lockdown then become lifted, that predictable world became unpredictable and the world wasn't the way that it was before. You know, I still can't go swimming and I don't understand that. And you've all now got masks on. You know, my support is provided completely differently. So, yeah, we saw, um, you know, an increased risk of, of placement breakdowns because of that. We've had to work incredibly creatively with the way that we deliver advocacy. That's been either over the phone, for some people I've done videos, but I'll go on to, to talk about those in a, in, a, in a minute. And we've just had to really think outside of the box to make sure that we can still provide advocacy during a global pandemic. And I genuinely believe that we've, we've done that successfully. Absolutely. Could you, could you tell us about some of the successes that you've had in your role as a transforming care advocate? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it comes down to communication, I think. Um, there has had to be a lot of thinking outside of the box. Um, but I think for me, one of the biggest successes that, that we had was I was pulled onto a, a leap call. Um, and a leap call, when, it, when they do happen, it is pretty much you down tools. Whatever you were doing that day, the leap call then takes priority. So um, that happened. It was probably a Friday afternoon as well. Because <laughs> that's usually when things go wrong, isn't it? Friday afternoon. Definitely. Um, about four o'clock um <laughs> and uh, i was i was brought onto this call uh, for a person who was at immediate risk of hospital admission their behavior had become quite extreme and they were attacking staff on a regular basis they had a lot of services then become involved very very quickly new faces um, probably complete sensory overload for them and so somebody said to me or you won't be able to engage them with advocacy. <laughs> Don't challenge me. <laughs> um, so I went away that night and had a really good think about what I could do to, to um, provide that person with advocacy and for them to understand who I am what and what how I'm there to, to help and support them. So I decided to do a video of myself, a really, really short 30-second video of myself where I could say, Hi, I'm Hayley, I'm a transforming care advocate, and I'm here to listen to you. And what I did with that was I sent them a piece of paper that had some thought bubbles on. So what's working well now, what's what's not working very well, and what could be better? And um, the staff team did that with this person, and it worked quite well. 
and everybody was sort of like, oh, okay then, you know, that was that was good. And I was thinking, okay, one off, you're going to have to up your game, Hayley, like, you know. Uh, so I did followed it on with another video the next week to provide that consistency because at this moment in time, this person is in crisis and hospital admission was very likely. And I knew for this person that if they were admitted to hospital, because of the, the extent of their behaviour, they'd been in hospital, hospital for an extended amount of time. They were already at a specialist provider. And the videos went on for about four weeks um, where I would send videos. And um, I'm not, you know, I did get a little bit teary-eyed because the on, on the last time that I that I did it, the staff reported back that she actually waved back to me, this person on the video. Um, and I'd gone from getting just one word in the thought bubbles to getting a whole A4 page of, of, of information about what they wanted me to raise in this in their meetings and it was just amazing it was just incredible to have been to to know that at that point I actually made a difference and and I know that following that people actually thought about the way that they were going to engage and introduce themselves to this person so it it had a such a huge impact that it doesn't have to always be in person sometimes it's about thinking outside the box and thinking what can I do to get this person to engage with me and know that you know I'm here to help and it worked really, really well. Um, and the community placement remained in place and that person didn't get admitted into hospital. And that today, you know, has been, I think, one of the biggest achievements. And and, it, and I know that that had an impact on that person's life. And I know that they felt listened to. And I know that changes happened because they were listened to. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Power Podcast. If you'd like more information about the services that Power offer or you'd like to make a referral, you can find more information on our website at www.power.net. That's www.power.net. You can also contact our help hub on 0300 020 0093. If you or someone you know is going through a transforming care programme, you can find out more information about this at www.england.nhs.uk forward slash learning hyphen disabilities hyphen care. Thanks for listening.